Dr. Saqib here with the Swift Podcast. Three, two, one. Here we go! What's up, everybody? So we're back with another episode of the Swift Podcast. So today I bring on a very special guest. A lot of you guys might know him. Some of you might not know him. Um, Dr. Kayla Burgess, um, one of the well-known physical therapists in the world, and he has made an abundance impact with you when it comes to rehab exercises, strength and conditioning on his platforms online. So, sir, welcome to the show. It's an absolute honor to have you. It's an honor to be on. Thanks, man. Thank you. So how's everything going? Talk to me. Busy day, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> Always. Well, I, I work in clinic and then uh, actually today is my day where I'm doing like majority of video calls with online clients. Okay. So it's kind of like my, my online business day to get as much time as I can. <laughs> but, but I still have my, uh, my six month old that's trying to sleep upstairs. We're actually doing nap training right now. Okay. So I'm not talking very loud. That's because I'm <laughs> trying not to wake him up, but I think my, my headphones are picking this up decently well. So that's good. You're good, man. I had six year old will keep you up a bit too. So um, there's a lot of topics that I feel like you and I can talk about and a lot of it like with your background and so forth and some of my background. Um, I want to talk to you about your background as like first OCS and why you kind of pursue that. So I'm currently in a residency. I'm wrapping up in actually three oh, weeks. Nice. That I take my board exam, so a little nervous about that. But what what made you go there? So your CSCS, which I have that, and then I went OCS. Yeah. I was between that. So what made you pursue that for yourself? Well, it wasn't even about the OCS. It was about the doing the residency and becoming a better clinician. Um, and what's funny, and this is kind of a I go on a lot of tangents. So I apologize, but maybe that's a oh, good thing. That's a good thing. Um, I, I know some therapists that have told me that they were almost told that if they knew their stuff, they didn't need to do a residency because that was for people that didn't really have a firm grasp on, on what they were doing as a clinician. But I viewed it as like, hey, I need, I want to, if I want to specialize in something and be really good and be the best I can at this thing, I need to push the limits and really get as good as I can with mentors and like heavy education in that field. So for me, it wasn't even about the OCS. It was just more like I wanted to get that extra experience. I wanted to get grilled by my mentors. I wanted to get that one-on-one -on -one time with them, um, challenge myself. And then the OCS was kind of just like a cherry on top to, awesome. to go like, okay, hey, I, look, I put in the work and, and it's nice to be rewarded for that. And people are aware of what you know. Yeah. So really it was just because I, I love orthopedics. I love sports, physical therapy, all that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't really just want to work with athletes. That's what I originally wanted to do when I got in school, but I wanted to work with everyday people too. I yeah. think that's kind of cool. And you see like the most complex cases usually with those type of people, not people that are in the sports. The sports stuff is usually pretty straightforward to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's just, we can just do more fun stuff. Um, but you use your brain a lot more with the gen general population orthopedic. Yeah. Dude, dude, right on. Cause I was in the same boat, right? I spent some time in exos with Florida and I was like, I don't want to just work with strictly athletes. I graduated and then I was in, in the clinic and I'm like, I could be doing more, learning more. And I went back from my residency. So I'm in Arcadia. Where did you take your residency at? Where was the what program? Oh, you're in Arcadia. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm in, I'm in Chino. So we're not that okay. far away. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah, so I did the, the Kaiser Permanente okay. uh, Southern California orthopedic residency. Cool. Um, and we were kind of pushed because I went to Azusa Pacific. Okay. Uh, and we were, we were pushed, not really pushed, but a lot of our, our teachers and faculty are involved in that residency um, as mentors. And a lot of them have their OCS and their, uh, their I don't know if you know the FAAOMPT. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, the, the funny thing about that is I, I could have that one too and SCS, but I just, I just never actually applied for it. I, I went through all the training and the fellowship to get that, but I just, I never applied because I was just like, I don't really know if I need this yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just too many letters. It gets crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was at the same boat, right? I was debating SCS, OCS. I went with OCS just because the versatility and like the learning aspect, right? You're learning so much more manually and like the hands-on skills, but just enhancing my ability to treat patients and like empower with movement. And to kind of piggyback that, I was a strength and conditioning coach for 10 years before I went back to get my DPT license. Wow, um, cool. And so now I'm trying to like bridge, bridge the graphs. We're like what you're doing. So let's let's talk in terms of strength and conditioning and the relationship to physical therapy. And I felt like for me, as I was a trainer, I used to see a lot of like clients that, you know, they're coming from PT. And I was like, I don't know what you did. And you're here and you had these issues. And I was not educated enough in that process. But I feel like there was a missing gap right? There was a missing link between like strength and conditioning and physical therapy um, yeah. and the patients left in the burner. Your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, it, it's weird. Part of me wants to like be upset sometimes with what we know as strict physical therapists, but then part of me thinks like, you know, it's not a lot of people's fault. Yeah. Because um, if you, if you learn what you, you learned in school and then you're seeing people at these a lot lower levels and you don't see many higher level athletes or individuals who do recreational activities that require a lot more strength conditioning, like higher level strength conditioning stuff. It's, yeah. I mean, you're not exposed to it and if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's like a lot of times these therapists, they, they don't have any reason or that's not their drive to learn this stuff. But then what yeah. happens is every once in a while, one of those people will leak through the cracks and be with that physical therapist. And then that therapist gets to a point where they're like, well, these exercises normally work with my sedentary 70 year old, but not with this 20 to 30 to 40 year old, like triathlete, you know, it's like, so, so I, I don't know. I can't, I can't blame therapists that aren't doing a great job with that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there should be a little bit more, well, I guess a lot of bit more um, education as a whole starting in school Absolutely. for those principles. And I feel like, I think we got it, but it, it wasn't emphasized to the amount that it should have been maybe. Um, yeah. So. I, feel like, I feel like we're getting it more in the residency though. I will say that compared to what I did in, in like the DPT program, residency definitely gave us more for it. Um, so when you are, so currently right now, you're, you're OCS and SCS, you're working with a lot of patients. Do you find that it's a lot easier to kind of mesh everything together for yourself? Like you're seeing some high level athletes as well as some lower levels. Oh, yeah. Right. For, for sure. And it's, uh, and that's, that's, what's cool. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to see that 70 year old, grandmother who can't stand up off the toilet but i also wanted to be able and, and who's having trouble walking or had a stroke or something even though it's yeah. technically neuro <laughs> stuff but same same umbrella um but then i also wanted to see a young kid who is trying to come back from a big injury like an acl injury and stuff and it, it's rewarding in two different ways and to be able to like know enough on each end of the spectrum to help both people is is really cool i wouldn't want to just work with one of those populations but i like to work with, with both Absolutely. I feel like we took the same path. I'm serious. Like I really wanted to go specifically just the sports and then 
something about it, right? It was just like they were more fine-tuned, but a lot of like just paint for me. I want to do this, just this manual, just this aspect. And then and in the general setting, you get such a challenge. And that's the beauty of why I left training and strength and conditioning for that challenge space, right? Like everyone can get stronger, bigger, faster. Um, yeah. the challenge you have with the the, the PT side is a lot of fun. Um, so I know one of the biggest topics I want to cover with you specifically was neck pain. And it's, it's a huge issue going on currently with the pandemic, people working from home and so forth. So um, let's try and talk to guys like root causes of neck pain where, where people kind of start to derive from so they can kind of pick up on these things of habits. Like what are typical habits we're seeing in the clinic that are going to lead to these issues? Yeah, so we can go really deep down the rabbit hole with that as far as like all the contributing factors. But oh, absolutely. <laughs> like some of the most common things that I see are just, like you said, like people who, when we talk about it from just like a, biomechanical standpoint um or even like neurological like just lack of movement throughout the day so just people that are in the same positions over and over again repetitively doing the same things and not even realizing it and a lot of times um i guess note for clinicians is like you'll see these people will they'll usually say things like i'm not even doing anything and then just like what sort of things make this hurt well nothing it just hurts it's like okay well how do you spend your day and then picking up on those habits of like what are the things that they're doing throughout the day and, and, and get them to show you how they're doing those things. And you'll see these, these habits of um, people getting into these either, either awkward positions um, or even just positions that don't look that bad, but they're like, Oh, I was doing that for four hours at a time. Um, so a lot of that has to do with like the, the desk work and things like that. But, but like in young kids, you'll, you'll hear things where like they're on, they're in bed and they have like four pillows under their neck and they're watching TV and it's like cranking their, their neck forward or they're just sitting in bed, like reading and these like, like their whole bodies in the slumped position for hours and hours and hours. Um, and then you have the other end. And I, again, you can stop me if I start to go too deep into this, but the other end are the people that are reading so many things online and then they're like overly like hyper-focused on their posture. So they'll erect all day and they like, don't allow themselves to relax or just move. They're just always like, I need to stay up, keep my shoulders back. <laughs> like, they're just like, number one, they're so hyper-focused on it. That's not helping things, but then they're not allowing their, their spine to move forward yep. in like a slouch position. So you, I would say that probably happens less often, but when it does, it, it's interesting. And those people, you kind of have to explain things a lot more yep. um, about like why they don't, don't need to do that as much yeah. um, and just get, get more moving into the day. I love how you said that because I feel like at times we as therapists get so stuck on the perfect posture and we cue for posture, 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 and we put that in the patient's mindset. And then they're like, well, I'm going to walk like this from now on. We don't walk like that ever. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, so I love that good education component. Um, and in terms of like acute neck pain, if someone's suffering from acute neck pain, what are your like go to education tools? We're not going to talk movement because I feel like it's just so dependent on different persons. But like education wise, what are, what are your cues for, the, for those people? Yeah, so acute neck pain, I mean, like they just strained it or it's hard to move it in any direction. A lot of times, some simple things that people can do are just unload their arms, their shoulders, because um, you think about all the muscles that attach from the like scapula um, to the spine and the neck, and just just that weight that's normally not a big deal um, can be can be an issue. Just pulling down and just have, like unloading them, having them cross their arms or place them up on pillows or things like that can be really helpful. Um, and then to be honest, a lot of times, and this is not like a sexy answer, but, and it's kind of the same way for back pain sometimes is like just having people lay down more throughout the day and just, just like have their neck just resting on something, just laying down can be, can be huge, especially in those really early phases. And then, um, 
you can, the other thing is you want to try to talk down like the scariness factor of it. So some people are so afraid to move their neck because it hurts so much to move in any direction and just letting them know like, Hey, you can move within your tolerable range of motion. A word that I use like probably like 50 times a day is the word tolerable and helping people understand like, Hey, even though it hurts to maybe turn your head in either direction or, or look up or look down, if it's tolerable to you, and it's not, and when you do it, your, your pain isn't like spiked for hours and hours afterwards, then it's, it's okay to explore those ranges of motion. And, and every day, maybe do a little bit more if possible, don't force it through extreme pain, but if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. Uncomfortable is okay, but usually like a lot of pain is not okay. I mean, obviously there's some variation there, but just helping them understand that that's not necessarily damaging things more can be helpful. And I like that, right? It's like more education process. And then um, what about tissue irritation? What are your thoughts about like when someone's got an acute issue, like a strain, are we touching the tissue or are you kind of letting it calm down itself? Um, I tend to have patients be like, hey, if it's upset, don't be poking at it, right? Let it be, let it alone. Um, oh, yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on that? I feel like everyone has such a different opinion on those aspects, especially with acute injuries, right? Are you talking about like what telling them what to do for themselves you're talking yeah. about like how would i treat it when they came in or, no i would or, say what they would do themselves i always find like oh. when patients come in they're like hey this hurts and they keep touching it like well, if it hurt <laughs> leave it alone right don't touch it um, yeah <laughs> so that, that's funny so yeah i guess a, a general answer on that is like a lot of times uh patients that always asking like massage or do i need someone to work this out and like you yeah. said like sometimes stuff's just pissed off for a reason and and if you think about it like really like Think about us like hundreds of years ago before we had like all this training on pain and musculoskeletal stuff. Like what would happen in the past? Would you really be poking and prodding on things or you just go, let me just leave that area alone for a while because it's telling me it hurts. Yeah. You know, like before, before we knew about like, or, or we had these theories about what massage or manual therapy and stuff that's like, people would probably just go, well, that area hurts. I'm just gonna leave that alone and carry on doing other things I need to do in my life. Um, and so that constant poking and prodding actually, yeah, like you said, can make it more sensitive because you're just poking on something that really doesn't want to be poked on. And yeah. sometimes, I mean, if I do any, like, let's say manual hands-on stuff, it's usually only if they're so afraid to move themselves and I can't get them to do things on their own that I will lightly put my hands around their neck, give them that feeling of that, like light, warm, comforting touch. And there'll be like guides and movement, but I'm not going in there and like digging my fingers in there and that kind of stuff, especially in those acute phases. And I remember that as early on in my career, we used to do a lot of that, right? I was like, oh, let me just touch it for you. Get to the rest here. She's like, well, I was like, no, 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 we're going to let it rest through. And more so like passive range of motion and just active range of motion on them is enough for exactly. them to calm things down and so forth. And then the next hot topic we get is modalities. Um, what are your thoughts on in terms of modalities for acute neck pain and which one would be the most recommended? Um, yeah, in a sense. I think, I think uh, in, in acute phases of a lot of injuries, I think modalities can be super important as long as your, your narrative is, is on point with them. I think a lot of times people will, will say negative thing now they don't know that it's negative but they're saying these things about modalities that make people think that they need to be doing them and they're like this magic cure to their issue when really if i just tell them hey time slowly getting back to your movement and respecting your pain but not fearing it those are like the biggest things i need to be aware of and then educating them throughout the process but then going you know what it hurts a lot it's okay if you put an ice pack on it you can put a heat pack on it and really i let people choose mm -hmm. i mean from, from what I've seen with, with 
more like a acute neck pain. It seems like people tend to like the ice, but at the same time, when they, when they had it for like longer periods, they tend to like heat more, but that's just like anecdotal. I mean, it really depends on the person and just letting them know like, Hey, either one works. I, that's what I would do if, if I really was having trouble sometimes. I mean, this is not like a sexy opinion, but uh, like putting a tens unit on sometimes can be helpful too. And just telling them like, Hey, might make it feel a little bit better while we do this. Let's try some movement with it. You know, I don't do that that often, but yeah. every once in a while, I think it can be helpful if they ask about it. I'm going to tell them like, Hey, this is not like powering up your neck and like fixing things yeah, through yeah. this electrical currents. It's just helping you feel a little bit better so you can move and your body can heal itself. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, like, one of the things my mentors have taught me in the Renzi program is essentially like, if your patient feels good with it, do it right. If they're feeling better. They're going to buy into you and kind of essentially have it and then put your perspective later on with that. Um, and a lot of times I think with, with PT, what I'm finding is, I think people look at us as like the healing power. I'm like, no, we're just setting you up to heal. We're setting you up for these movement patterns, setting you up for totally. success. And that part of it falls in for success, right? If you get them to relax a little bit more, um, it helps out in a sense. But acute injuries are very like interesting in a sense, right? Like I just find that. Yeah, <laughs> it can be awkward at times. It can be awkward at times with the patient because if they're viewing you as this person, like I am coming here for you to heal me. And then, and then I'm sitting there going, honestly, I don't, need to do too much you just need to like give it time <laughs> and 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 you know you have you have a cold pack at home or you have frozen peas at home or, or you you can do these same exercises without me and and people look at you kind of like what's the point of me coming in and they're like and, and in 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 our minds we're going like i don't think you understand how powerful the things i just told you were that yeah. you would have got bad information somewhere else in the rabbit hole you could have gone down but now that you know you're probably going to get better in a few weeks or, or a month or two. Right. Or, and, and I'm putting you on this path that you actually will improve rather than having like this persistent pain for months and months and months. That's so valuable, but they might look at it as like, well, this is a waste of my time. You, yeah. you didn't like fix me with your hands in the visit or, or a couple of visits. And that can be challenging at times. And a lot of that has to do with marketing that's out there online and things that they learn online. And they think, like you said, like we're the healers rather than they, facilitators of the healing and i think it comes down to as you uh, like just hearing what you said is like kind of empowering the patient to be more independent with themselves right because they're not coming to us for the rest of their life at some point your insurance is cutting you off and that's it and then what do we do right so it's education that's a great tip for the young clinicians out there that are leaving pt school now to grad that are going to be in the industry soon I've, I've learned that the hard way like I initially did not care about visits, right? I was just cranking people in, let's get you going. Get... And then the first time I learned, I had a post-op knee and I was like, what do you mean he's out of visits? He's post-op, he's a month in. He's like, what are you doing? And that's when you learn of like independence. So it's a great, great, I mean, I learned the hard way, right? And I'm, I'm telling that to everyone listening today. Yeah. Um, insurances are torture at times. It, it's oh, a dude. Big process. <laughs> you so know, I actually, and I, and I, I will tell you straight yeah. up, the reason why the reason why I do what I do in my side business online where people just pay out of pocket is I don't want to deal with insurance. I want it to to set them up for success. I mean it does cost them money, but one of one um it's kind of off tangent a little bit, but um there's a quote that says like uh if people pay, they pay attention. So you, you we all have those patients that come in who they just their insurance like is just low copay and they're just kind of like uh, whatever and they're not really putting in the consistency they're not a compliant but when someone has to pay money and put money down and know like shoot i gotta put in the work they're gonna put in the work number one but then the other thing is just not having to deal with insurance saying oh you only have six visits and we're like this person needs to be seen for a lot longer 
for their issue, right? And yep. and just not having that restriction is huge. And then the other thing, like I mentioned, like the, the residency that I went through and the fellowship that I went through at, at, at Kaiser, some people aren't big fans of Kaiser and I can understand why some of those, there's negatives on there. But what I like about it is there's not like a cap on visits. I can see somebody as long as I want to see them, as long as the doctor's cool with it. And I'm, I'm talking to the physician about like, continuing their plan of care so people people will come in from like maybe outside therapy places and go oh like how many visits do i have left i'm like we have as many visits as we need to to get you better so th there's positives and, and negatives to the system uh but what i like about it sometimes is i can see somebody for one or two visits and go that's all you need boom we're done and and rather than having to then draw something out for six to eight weeks or, or whatever six to 12 visits i don't even know what the normal <laughs> normal is anymore um instead of having to like kind of keep them coming in and make them feel like they're still like injured when actually in actuality they could have been maybe good in two visits and they're like on their way and they're like i don't really need physical therapy i'm on, i'm good like sometimes coming in too often can be an issue yeah. um and then also like like you said like if they cut get, getting cut off it's nice to be able to continue things absolutely forward so that's kind of a nice thing with that system that i like especially have like like your own background right i feel like we and for me it's now finding the balance between like strength and conditioning and physical therapy but like i feel like once they're at a point of healing and things are responding better i want to put the strength and conditioning side into it i want to test your measures i want to put you in that basis so at least you have the opportunity now to like excel that right um, yeah especially cool. if they have those goals it's like you you maybe help them get better from the initial injury or if they had surgery you're trying to help them recover from the surgery but then to actually get back to like playing their sport and stuff and not just getting like improving their like strength deficits or mobility deficits but getting them back to like okay like how do we have you handle jumping and running and cutting like that takes a lot longer um, to get there from a physical and psychological standpoint absolutely and i think as i'm listening to you speak and this is good advice for those of you who listened to the episode is um Caleb is an educator before he's a clinician. And if you really need to educate and empower your patients to being optimally for success, and I think you said it earlier in the conversation about like the pain part, right? Like, yes, you're in pain, but you don't really need me for more than one or two visits because you're empowering them for those movements. Um, I think that's the missing link. And I think I've learned that more in the residency than again in PT school by really truly educating the, the clients and educating the patients of like pain perception. And we just spent the last two weeks at, um, with our NC of like the psychosocial aspect of it, right? Talking to them about their pain, listening to what they're saying, and then opening up to the environment. What else can be factors of these stressors? Um, did you guys dive into that with your NC program at all? Oh, and crazy. We actually had uh, <laughs> in my fellowship, my second year was we had Lorimer Mosley fly out and we had like, wow. we had like eight of us in like a, we spent the day with him for a couple of days, went to lunch and like, He's a hilarious dude, but like, yeah, we went deep into the, the pain stuff. So um, yeah, it, all that stuff is, is so important. All those contributing factors and things going on in their life that is more than just how you're moving, what tissues are you stressing? That's only part of it. But a lot of times people think that's the only part of it and that, that can cause issues if they don't recognize the other contributing factors in their life. How are you educating on that? How are you educating on the external resources that like our external environment that's affecting the patient's pain? And if you feel like, you know, we have some patients, like I follow a lot of work with like Dr. Andre Lowry and like the outside alarm system in a sense, not shutting oh, off. Yeah, yeah. And there's that. So like, I'm still learning on the education process, right? I always find it's like a hard part. So for those young clinicians out there, how would you give them like a tip for them on like education on that aspect? Yeah, it's, I think if you would ask me this, 
five, six, seven years ago, I would have given you like a, here's how you do it. <laughs> but to be honest, it's, it's, and you've probably seen this too, is like everybody has their own stuff they're dealing with. Everybody understands things differently. Different metaphors and analogies work for different people. And some people will go completely over their head. So unfortunately, and this is what makes it super difficult, even if you've been treating people for 20, 30 years, is like you have to really understand that person really well before you can really dive in deep with this stuff. So on a first visit, it's really tough yeah. because sometimes you're kind of like shooting at a target with, with a blindfold on. <laughs> like you think, <laughs> you think you know what might hit home with them if you feel like there's some of these issues that they're dealing with that are outside of like a straight up like, your knee hurts when you squat or whatever, Um, like all the the psychosocial stuff. Um, So you try to do your best, but I think when those conversations really get good and they get more effective is when you've been working with them for a while and you get to know them better and you understand their humor, you understand their fears, you understand things going on in their life and and they're they're comfortable opening up to you about this stuff. Because a lot of people day one are not going to open up to you about this stuff. They're going to be very guarded and they're going to think, why, why would you need to know as my physical therapist? So to get them comfortable and to, to become their friend, not like in like a sleazy manipulative way, but actually like want to get to know them better, understand them better. They will start to unload things more that is very obvious to you as a clinician that, oh, this is stuff we need to address. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I think maybe just oh, no, you're good. scratching the surface as to how it might be different for different people. But as far as like educating them, I think using different metaphors, using different analogies, and there's so many of them, you can even make stuff up that you haven't read online or in a book, um, but things that make sense to them and, and, and basically making them understand at, at the, I think most people need to understand that pain is not this like thing that happens to you, but it's your body's like way to try to protect you. It's your output from our body. And then always prefacing that with people understanding that I'm not saying it's coming from your head and, and letting them know if, if you have pain, it's real. It doesn't matter what the main contributing factors are. It is real. You could have really strong emotions or a traumatic experience that has nothing to do with physical injury. And if you have pain, it doesn't mean you're crazy. That's just your body's physical response to something going on in your life that uh, makes it think that you need protection or it needs to warn you about something. And sometimes that can be like fear, anxiety, but sometimes that can actually manifest as pain. Yep. And, and, and then just kind of, you can go down the, like, again, I keep saying the rabbit hole, there's so many things you can talk about here, but like, I'll tell people too, like sometimes you could have had an injury 10 years ago and it was a really bad injury and it was really traumatic and it really affected your life. And um, you were good for a long time, but then like it came out, kind of came out of the blue a couple of years ago and it stayed with you ever since and it's really bad and it's not necessarily because of that injury you're still injured it's because your body sometimes I, I feel like your body chooses where it's going to manifest pain from other areas so you could have another traumatic maybe you had an, you're in an abusive relationship or something and it started a year or two ago or something and all of a sudden your back pain that you injured 10 years ago was way worse you're not doing anything to your back to make it worse but it's almost like your body has this physical representation of, of pain and it's going to choose the area that's kind of your brain remembers was a really painful area to manifest that act versus your shoulder. If you never had a shoulder issue, that isn't, isn't always that yeah. way, but a Absolutely. lot of times that does happen because there's these areas you, your brain kind of remembers, Hey, I, this area is a little bit more sensitive because I know I've had an injury before, but I'm going to manifest this pain that has nothing to do with that injury. 
in that area, but then that screws with people's minds because they're like, well, now my back is deteriorating or whatever. Um, So there's, there's so many things like that. And that's only one of like thousands of examples, but I think just understanding and, and making your story or the way you explain things fit the patient's life. Yeah. very specifically to them and de-threatening what pain means and understand helping them understand that you can have pain without damage um, is super important. And, and then having them, having them try to look inside themselves and their life and understand like, what are all the things that you can do that, that tend to make your pain feel better other than just exercise, things that make you feel good, people you're around, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what are all the things in your life that, um, contribute to just making things just feel worse overall like and people never really usually look at it that way but once they start to look at it that way and understand what you're saying you'll you'll find a lot more things yeah. that you can work on together absolutely and it kind of comes down to the clinician taking the time to understand and listen to the patient and talk to the patient about these topics and as uncomfortable as those conversations mm-hmm. are you got to have those conversations um, with that folks we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with you so we're back with Dr. Caleb, who's been nothing but an abundance of joy to talk to and just a wealth of knowledge and not knowing him as well as a lot of people do. I just feel like education in his life is a key component of his life and how he is speaking to us and what he's empowering. We didn't talk movements. We didn't talk specifics. We talked about empowering you through education. Um, with that, we talked for a break. So the floor is yours. Let's hear your three pieces of advice for, for our young clinicians, young professionals out there. Well, as it relates to education, correct? And how it uh, yes. relates. Yeah. And, and, and so basically, um, I mean, for, for myself, I feel like educating, educating yourself, if you want to get into a specific field of physical therapy, because there's, for those of you that aren't clinicians that are listening to this, um, physical therapy has different like subspecialties. Um, as we talked about at the kind of the beginning. So if you really want to work on a specific area, I think it's well worth your time to invest the time and finances and stress uh, to really <laughs> focus on challenging yourself and not be afraid. I guess tip number one would be like embrace failure. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy because a lot of people say that, but like really like embrace failing. Sorry about my son in the background, you might hear him. Okay. um just just embrace the fact that like you when you come out of school and you don't really know how to get all this information that you've learned to fit and things aren't very cookie cutter and you're expecting patient presentations to be easy um finding somebody to mentor you or joining like a residency program or something like that to to challenge yourself and not not treat it like you're trying to get a good grade and you're trying to pass and get an A every time you're with a patient, which is really hard not to do, especially when you're coming straight out of school, but like embracing it as like, hey, I'm ready to screw up and I'm ready to not do the best job. And I have this mentor who's been doing this for however many years and who's gone through what, what I'm going through now and can basically in a constructive way, pick me apart so that um, they can like identify my weaknesses and my flaws um, and that will constantly be something that I can add to my learning. So rather than just learning random stuff and not knowing what you need to be working on, you have somebody there um, and a program that you're going through that is like telling you like, this is what you need to work on. Here's your weaknesses. Here's the things that you need to clean up. Here's the things that you need to, to improve. Um, and then just diving into really becoming a, a specialist in that area by getting um, education that is focusing on 
that sort of specialty, uh, I think is, is super important. So I think I'm, I'm telling, I'm not saying, I'm not putting them into three different tips and more just like telling you all the things yeah. that I feel like would be helpful there. Absolutely. I think that's one, that's one of the main ones. Um, and then not being, not being stagnant. So don't, don't just rely on, okay, I did this program. Like even if you finished with doing something like advanced education like that, um, continuing to look at the research, continuing to follow other people who put out good content online um, that sometimes will uh, summarize the information from, from research or challenging your biases. So never being stuck on a specific bias because uh, in physical therapy and fitness and strength conditioning, it's um, a lot of it isn't as, as hard as it is to say this, a lot of it doesn't have super strong evidence behind it. Yeah. Um, we're still kind of in our infancy as, as far as how research goes. So if, if your biases or your beliefs change in a few years, um, not being so focused on, on this being like a black and white thing and, and knowing that like, okay, this is something that I was telling all my patients and I was teaching them, but you know what? There's a lot more research that's come out now that shows that ah, that probably wasn't the best advice and being okay with that and embracing that and actually taking that as like a positive thing. Like, Hey, things aren't all set in stone. It's not like human anatomy where it's like not going to ever change. Like that's not going to change really, unless it's like maybe thousands of years in the future. But um, just knowing that like, Hey, a lot of the things that we do for exercise or for treatment, like that stuff can change. And that's okay. Even if you learn something different when you were in school or whatever, yeah. you feel like this is the best way to do things. Maybe it won't be in 10 years and, and embracing that I think is important. Absolutely. I think it comes down to is education is the most powerful tool we have, but applying that education is going to be even more powerful. Um, when you listen to this stuff and everything he's talked about, it comes down to education. And we, we're both living examples. I'm going through the process. I have more certs and courses that I want to take just to better myself because I think it overall does carry um, to that. And I've had a lot of guests here that we've talked about, like having the person where I'm assuming where he was 10 years ago to where he said a completely different person education wise. And that's what we're trying to empower with that. Um, so thank you for your advice. Thank you for your tips. And I thank you for coming on today's show. I truly appreciate it. It was a true honor to have you. I've been following your work for a while and I hope to have you on again soon. Oh yeah, for sure. It was a blast. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you. And with that folks, this concludes today's episode. We'll see you guys next time.